0: How do you get the C-suite to clearly understand what you do and see you as an expert? Find out on this episode of the Enough Already podcast. Had enough? Ready to turn your career into your own consulting and coaching business? You're in the right place. I'm Betsy Jordan, and with my background as a consultant, entrepreneur, and personal brand builder, I'm here to give you inspiration and guidance to own your brilliance, shape your brand, articulate your message, and get seen and paid as the expert that you already are. This is Enough Already, the place for consultants and coaches to learn how to create businesses and lives that they love. Welcome to the Enough Already podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jordan, and we're continuing my series on getting seen and paid as an expert. Today's guest is Roberta Matchison, who is an expert in helping organizations identify, acquire, nurture, and retain the best talent in the world. I've known Roberta for over 10 years, and I've witnessed her amazing journey from startup consulting business owner to now an established expert with five published books and author of articles that have been featured in Fast Company, Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Forbes, and so many other places. I invited Roberta on the show for a few reasons. Number one, she's done an amazing job creating a unique brand position in a very competitive field. We all know there's so many HR leadership and organization development consultants out there, and Roberta has just done a great job of identifying her niche around maximizing talent. So listen, Listen in on how she got clear on how she could set herself apart if that is something that you're struggling with and you want to set your coaching apart so that you can make it clear to the people you want to serve what you do. Another reason why I wanted to have Roberta on the show is I just loved how she leveraged her natural writing ability to make her the unquestionable expert in the minds of her clients. She had a vision that she wanted to support the C-suite and she has used her books to own her seat at this exclusive table. So if you want to both create and amplify your brand image, you definitely want to listen in. And then third, I'm just so fascinated by her latest book topic, and I just had to have her on the show to talk about it. Her latest book is called Can We Talk? And she wrote it on the heels of the whole COVID pandemic. And it's all about how to have difficult conversations in business that also translates to life. And I cannot imagine a more timely topic, given all the relational challenges that 2020 and 2021 have created. So workplaces, you know, and let's face it, the dinner table are fraught with landmines. And Roberta gives her readers the skills on exactly what to do and how to handle these difficult conversations. So if you want to level up your ability about handling the difficult conversations, you definitely want to listen in and you definitely want to get her book. And if you want to figure out how to carve out a unique position in the market and use your great ideas to help you create a credible connection with the people you most want your business to serve, definitely schedule a call with me at www.betsyjordan.com. Remember, Jordan is with a Y forward slash schedule. Now onto the show. Welcome, Roberta. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So there's so many reasons why I wanted to talk to you. First off, I'm super excited about your brand new book. So I want to talk to you more about your brand new book. But you and I have known each other for quite a while. And I have watched you through so many different iterations in your business. And it's just I love watching how clear you've gotten about what you do, who you help, and, and I just want to explore more of your journey because there's others who are just starting out or haven't figured out that kind of success that you have. So I'm, I think it would be a huge gift for other people to hear more about your story. Okay, well, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So, okay, talk to me. Take me back in time. What, would, what were you doing before you started your business?
1: Well, before I, was, before I started my business, I was head of HR. And at the age of twenty four I was promoted into the executive suite, and I was leading a the h r department of a commercial real estate company um you know and when you're twenty four you know everything, so of course you do. I have a twenty year old and I could tell yeah. you they think you know everything oh yeah, I've got a twenty two year old and a twenty one year old so yes, I get it yeah. um, <laughs> but I was smarter than them, right I was of so. Course. Um, and I thought I knew everything, and of course, I didn't. And I got taken out by a wave I never saw coming. And then I moved into, oh, yeah, well, then I took a year off and I traveled around the world by myself just so that I could like get my head back on straight. and uh, and I thought, you know, okay, I'm gonna hop into another position. I headed up and started up another HR department for another organization, moved to another one, and then eventually, I was like, I'm going to start my own business. I don't, I want to be in control. I don't want my, you know, my life being, you know, run by someone else and and worrying about whether or not I was going to have a job the next day. So what gave you the
0: courage to say, I don't want to do work for somebody else. I want to go out and I'm going to go into this unknown.
1: Well, I'm going to be really honest and transparent because I think that's really important. Um, my, you know, I, in between that, I got married. And so I think when you have a second income, you know, and you're not like, it's not all resting on you. I think it takes a lot less courage to start a business than when it's just you. And and I think that we do people a disservice when we make it look so easy. And so, you know, I was fortunate in that my spouse, you know, had his own business. But that also required me making sacrifices, which was moving to an area um, that was more rural than I would, than this city gal really would like. (laughs) So So, a lot of compromises.
0: So you had, so you felt like there was a little bit of a safety net, but what about from a career standpoint? Did you feel like, okay, I've got, I know exactly what I'm going to do, or how did you figure out how to start a business and what you needed to do? Did you just jump in? Well, I kind of
1: thought originally. I thought, "Ooh, I want to get out of HR. I don't like it." But then, when I really stepped back, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It was like I didn't like being inside, and that I didn't like not having my ideas val- valued. And when I watched other consultants come in and tell my boss the same thing I was telling them, and if, and of course their ideas were spectacular, you know, I was like, you know, I've had enough of that. So for me, that transition over to the other side, where when I first started my business, um, my company was named Human Resource Solutions. And then I got a little bit crazy. And I was wondering, like, how come only HR people are calling me? <laughs> and they're often not the decision makers, right? And then I'm like, well, maybe because your company says that. So then I had to go through another change and rebrand my company to and Consulting. And um, that goal in doing so was to work at a higher level. Um, my clients are mostly CEOs and executives. And every now and again, someone in HR will bring me in to perhaps be an executive coach to someone.
0: So that's interesting because a lot of people have that impression. My experience of working with HR is that they are they are they have the similar kind of challenges as you might have had as an internal person around not having that seat at the table with a voice that's heard. But I also found that when I would partner with the HR team as an external consultant, you know, you can come in and kind of support and reinforce what they're saying. So it sounds like even in your work, it's not like you just kind of leapfrog over the HR people, but you really partner with, with them in, and to help them with their what they want to accomplish as well.
1: Right. Well, it depends on who's bringing me in, right? So sometimes the CEO will bring me in. And then I will work with the head of HR. So it it all depends. Or you know sometimes HR will bring me in to put on a, a leadership program or to uh, work with a particular executive who needs coaching. So it's not that I don't work with them, but I, I can move my sales process along a lot faster when I can get right to the decision maker. And as we know, and having worked in HR, in a smaller organization, HR's budget is not what it is at a Fortune 500 company. Oh yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, in, HR,
0: in HR's position very differently when you're in a smaller organization, they're more seen as the administrative experts or the employee champions versus in the larger where they are taking much more of that strategic kind of role. Yes. So, so then how did you figure out what you really wanted to focus on? Like, so what was your marketing strategies like at the beginning? And how did you know that, that you want, first you thought you wanted to leave HR, then you decided you still, the work itself wasn't that bad. Like how did you decide where you wanted to focus?
1: Well, I decided I should do what I know. (laughs) So I started to focus on organizations that needed to build HR departments from the ground up. Right. And I live in the Boston area and there are a lot of companies that are in startup mode and they needed everything from an employee handbook to um, a roadmap for you know, talent management and that was great. But you know, then I got kind of tired of doing that. And I think it was after my last employee handbook. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And I, did, I mean, to write one of these, you know, as you know, is like, it takes a lot of effort and, and research and all that. And I was like, I am not going to do another one. And then I hit the delete button on my template. Which was like a big thing for me because that meant like I was never doing another one. And I think as you grow in your business, like even yesterday, I got called about an executive coaching project. And, you know, I just kept going through what they were asking for and whether or not this person I thought could really be helped and whether or not I wanted to do it for this amount of money. And I just said no. So as you get older and, and, and you're more, you have more experience, I think it's less about the money and more about can I make a difference? yeah, the answer is no, I'm not doing it.
0: you know it's also also too is that when you're dealing with the employee handbook kind of situation that you also got to a point where like, I don't want to keep reinventing this career I had a million years ago. I want to go into what's next, what's next. And if you've done it before, like why start a business? I find a lot of people when they start a business, they wind up recreating their career or they go in and position themselves in a lower level in the organization than they might have even where they left the organization because they are become that extra pair of hands. How did you get more clear that you wanted to really position yourself with executives and the CEOs? how did you, when did that aha come to you? Like, I got to go after this particular kind of level and I want to do what's next for my career.
1: Well, it came when I was working with a coach. And so, I mean, I think having a coach and having somebody to bounce these ideas off of and somebody who's been where you want to go, because yeah. that's really key. There are a lot of coaches out there, they've never done what you want to do. So I'm not quite sure how they can get you there. Mm-hmm. So, so I, you know, found someone who had grown their business to a level that I aspired to. And I listened and, you know, and then I recreated my business, but then recently I went through another recreation and that was because after a while, Betsy, I got so confused. I didn't even know what I did anymore. So I'd go to my website and I'd add a new service and I, you know, I've done so many things that when people would ask me what I did, I I didn't even know how to answer them anymore. And it was like, you know, somebody's not going to refer you if they don't know what you do. So, oh my gosh. That would be
0: like a tweetable thing, you know? Like that was so good. Can you say that one again? Someone is not going
1: to refer you if you don't know what you do. And they don't know what you do. So, that was a great experience. You know, I hired a woman to help me with my website who was also a marketing expert, and she helped me gain a lot of clarity on this is who your target is. And these are the problems that they have. And we went through the story branding process. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I firmly believe in using people for things you're not good at. And as good of a writer as I am, I couldn't write in that manner. That's not my style. And so when I launched my new website about a year ago, man, oh man, even I know what I do now. So what is it that you do now? I help employers. Hire and keep the best people.
0: So that is very clear. Yes. But you've had the Talent Maximizer as a brand for a while. So I'm curious, like, how did you land on the Talent Maximizer? And how did you lose sight? Because that seems like it's very aligned with the Talent Maximizer as an
1: idea. It is. Um, I got the name because I asked my coach who had given somebody else a name that I liked. Um, I said, well, what should my name be? And he said, your name should be the talent maximizer. And then I was like, well, what if that's not available? He's like, well, then we'll give you another name. Okay. It was available and I registered it. I got the trademark for it. Um, and then I've used that in my branding. But when you think about it, you know, this whole idea of hiring and keeping the best, you know, what, for what purpose, right. And that's so you can maximize talent in your organization. And so that you can maximize the employee experience and maximize your profitability. So it all falls under that umbrella. So everything I do falls under that umbrella.
0: I did a year's worth of research on top talent and what makes them tick. And there's a very different kinds of strategies that a company needs to do in order to go after top talent versus just, you know, the average talent. How did you get How did you get clear on like your own frameworks around, well, what is it that if they're going to hire the best, like how did you come up with your unique framework for what that looks like compared to what other people might do around, you know, hiring great talent in general? How did you come up with your unique ideas?
1: Well, honestly, I think it's changing every day. So although you've done your research, I think as a result of the pandemic, everything we thought we knew has changed. So, I think what people want today is similar but different and the problem is that is that organizations haven't quite gotten there yet and I was just sent a study um it was pretty remarkable I, I don't have the exact numbers about um tech workers, and we all know how hard they are to find and The study said that uh, something like you know forty percent of tech managers are not even concerned about employee retention although 70% of tech workers say that they're looking for new jobs you know so there's this disconnect here right and so what has changed for those tech workers so before maybe it was all about the money and now it's about i don't want to go into the office i don't want to wear like a collared shirt like there are things that people want today that a year and a half ago you know, they weren't even thinking about. And if you're still operating, like it's the year, you know, 2020, you're not going to get the talent, or you're not going to keep them. So it sounds like you're really staying abreast of all the
0: changes in the in your industry. And it still infuses into your thought leadership. How How do you see your like, what do you see as your big idea? And how does your big idea evolve as you get more data?
1: Well, I mean, I just think it changes every day. And there was an article in Bloomberg yesterday about um, Wall Street and the um, eight figure salaries that are now being offered. I got to tell you, I'm not a mathematician. I had to figure out, like, how much money is that? <laughs> like, like I know what a six figure salary is and a seven. Like, what's an eight figure salary? Right. But you've got to keep reading and you have to take this information and you have to share it widely with your, you know, community so that you can help educate them so that when they make their offer to a software engineer and they're like, well, we're going to pay you, you know, 65,000 a year. (laughs) You know, that's insane. (laughs) Have you always been a reader? Like ever since you were young? No, actually not since I was young. But I have been a reader. I always read the Wall Street Journal. I like the way it's written. Um, I look at the LinkedIn uh, headlines because it's pretty trend, you know, what's trending. Um, I write a lot. I, I blog on LinkedIn and I have my own blog and I write my newsletters and things like that. And I just feel like as a consultant, it, you have to know what's going on in the world. Because if you don't, then how can you be helpful? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, well, so what would you think about your, so what? there's a lot of things that you know that you can use to help your clients. So you know what they need to do to get the best of their talent, attract the best of the best. You know a lot about what's, what's the latest and greatest. What would you say are some of the unique strengths that you bring to the table as a consultant in this space that others do not
1: have? I've actually been in the job that many of them are in. Like I have been in the executive suite and so when I'm giving advice out, when I'm coaching someone, that's based on reality, not on a course I took. Like yeah, pragmatic, get, real world. Right. Like, hello, there are political situations going on around you, okay? <laughs> the executive suite is not a nice place all the time. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on and you got to be aware of it and you've got to position yourself so that you get your resources for your group so that you all can be successful. And so a lot of the coaching that I do is based on reality. It's not based on, you know, the latest research, you know, which is already two years old. Yeah. So it sounds like what you really are doing
0: is you transfer that political savvy. So it goes back to your earlier story of feeling like you were not able to get your voice heard and learning how to use influence and you could help your clients you know, navigate the real complexities, which is all the politics and not
1: the actual technical technical parts of the job, right? And that's what suddenly in charge my first book was about: managing up, managing down, succeeding all around. You know, nobody taught me in college how to manage up, and I found out very quickly that if you don't manage up, you won't have to worry about managing down. And who's going to teach you that, right? or across. Nobody
0: really teaches you about yep. managing across. All right, so yep. I'm glad you brought up your books because I'm very curious about your writing journey. So, when did you decide that you was it before or after you came up with the talent maximizer as your brand, did you start writing or did you write first and then come up with the talent maximizer?
1: I I I was writing first.
0: So, and what made what gave you the idea and what was your purpose of your book in the first well, place?
1: Well, the first I, I had a, I had another book proposal that I wrote three years prior um, that was turned down by an agent. And then it took me like another three years to say, okay, I'm going to go back out and try this again. And so that's when I wrote Suddenly in Charge and, you know, got a book deal for that and all that. And then, you know, over time, the publisher of Suddenly in Charge came to me, the owner took me to lunch and he said, how would you like to write another book? like okay (laughs) so you know i mean again i think is as the world around me has changed i keep up with those trends and and then actually in 2017 i wrote a second edition of suddenly in charge because life had changed that much in like five years and that new edition had nine new chapters nine wow yeah so you have to as a, as a consultant, you have to stay relevant. And if you're talking about things that happened, you know, back in the day, that's not really helpful for people today that have these challenges. And I am so <clears throat> grateful that I wrote Can We Talk during the pandemic? Because normally these kind of conversations, these difficult conversations, I would say to you, don't do that over Zoom don't pick up the phone, you you have to do that in person. And all of a sudden, that wasn't you couldn't do these conversations in person. So I was forced to write this book, and say, you know, yes, ideally, it'd be great if you could do it in person. However, if you can't, here are some things you need to consider before you start this conversation remotely. That's fascinating. Yeah. I
0: definitely want to talk more about the Can We Talk book, but I want to I want to make sure I have context of where does this book fit in with your series. So Suddenly in Charge was first. And then there was a second book. I definitely know about, I forgot the title of the talent second book. Talent Magnetism. And then is there, and then we did, is there a
1: third before the second edition of Suddenly in Charge? Then I wrote The Magnetic Leader because when I wrote Talent Magnetism, I had an epiphany and that was, oh, well, the whole secret to attracting and keeping talent is great leadership. Right. So how do you become a magnetic leader? And that's what that book's about. And then came the next edition of Suddenly in Charge. And then came my book, Evergreen Talent. So that's one, two, so so five, so it's six books now total. Yes. And so Evergreen Talent, though, this is important because it freaked me out, came out in um February of 2020. Mm. And the pandemic hit in March. Wow. And nobody really cared about hiring people. <laughs> they were just trying to keep people alive. And
0: I got that. So, so, so I guess that book one was like, wah, wah, like it wasn't yeah. as good as, suddenly in charge is you're certainly in demand. And then Evergreen Talent's like, wah, wah. So
1: it's not oh. like about everything has to be perfect, but it led the, for this book. Well, actually now I'm giving out Evergreen Talent like chicklets because with 10,000, you know, 10 million Ten point four million job openings and employees resigning like on the hour. Right. I don't even know which book to give out. Like, do you want this one? What that one? Do you never you know. <laughs> so, how
0: have you used your books to further your positioning and your thought leadership and your, you know, how you're seen as that expert? How do, How do you use this?
1: Well, my books have allowed have led to my being asked to be a LinkedIn Learning author. I have eight courses on the LinkedIn learning platform. Um, As a result of that, I was able to get in the pilot program for the LinkedIn newsletter. Um, So I've got about 133,000 subscribers on that. Uh, On LinkedIn, I've got almost a quarter of a million followers. Wow. Building brand, right? And then um, yesterday I was asked to write a piece for the Harvard Business Review. And so it's, you know, Betsy, as you know, it is a slow process.
0: Yeah, but I think that that's what I love about you is you're tenacious. You know, I, I, you're, you seem like that kind of person's like, I'm going to keep figuring it out. I'm going to keep figuring it out. I'm going to stay in the game. I mean, even as you talk about your proposal process for the first time where you were tried to get a book and it didn't work out and then you went and kept at it. You know that there's something that's really unique about you. I've always known that about you. Like I, when I see you from afar, it's like you're, like you're just somebody who just keeps at it. It's such such an inspiration all the time. It's also exhausting. Yeah, but so when you so when you think about your all of this visibility, you know, then somebody's listening and it's like, oh my gosh, she just must have clients like just coming to her all the time. You know, does it, it doesn't it magically happen that way. Where just because you have all
1: that visibility, and now clients just must magically come to you? No. In fact, um, we have a common friend, Dory Clark. And as much as this recognition as I get, I joined yesterday her recognized expert program because it's like, okay, I've got all this, but I can probably do more or do a better job of getting recognized. So why not learn from that community? So I think that when you, as a consultant or new business owner, when you stop learning, you might as well just retire. So yeah. there's a lot of be other ways, but, you know, I still find the best way to get clients is you have to pick up the phone, right? And you have to network. Um, this morning, I was at my first in-person event in 18 months. Wow. <laughs> so that was quite you know unique I was like do you shake hands like do you keep your mask on while you're sipping your coffee like how does this work it is so
0: weird I went to my first networking event like a month ago like I don't even know what to do here like you know yeah. fist
1: bump or like or like you know, I don't know yeah. I mean, like, like, like what's nice I don't know but I had just gotten my booster so I thought okay it's been two weeks I'm I'm pretty locked and loaded so you should be okay the So,
0: so with your books you it's, but it does seem to elevate your positioning. So is it easier though, to get leads than before? Like, do you feel like you're, you know, speaking of the magnetism, is it able, are you able to more magnetically attract clients rather than chase them?
1: Well, yes, that, yes. And so for example, you know, I have social proof, right. And when I want to be on a podcast and I reach out and I say, well, I have a quarter of a million followers that we can promote this to. People get back to me. Yeah, that's true. They're not like, well, you know, we really don't need another speaker on leadership. They're like, absolutely. We like your angle. Very cool.
0: So, so you were in the pandemic and this new book came up. So tell me a little bit more about how did you come up with having difficult conversations in the middle of pandemic while everybody's isolated from one another and not having a lot of conversations? Unless you kind of the difficult conversations with all the people that you're stuck at home with, that could be right. a different that could
1: be a different audience. Well, it's funny because as I re-read this book, I'm like, man, everyone should have a copy of this before they go to Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> so it's okay. So it's about difficult conversations with with work or in your personal life. Well, I think the principles are the same. <clears throat> so, for example, I do in the book talk about a relative of mine. And, um, I'm like, "You know sometimes we have difference of opinion in terms of politics. well, all the time, I should say, oh, I and- think I've seen this relative I' sure oh, have- you have I've seen some interesting debates that you guys get going. in fact, I've said to this person, I am not giving you this book. I've given him other books, and he hasn't read them, and he should, and I said, But you are in it, and so the point is is like I do say to him, like you know Help me to understand, because I really do want to know, like, how is it, like, we grew up in the same house. How is it that we have such different views? I don't say you're an idiot, right? But people will do that at the Thanksgiving table. So it's sort of like, help me to understand, like, why do you feel that way? Or what's your evidence? Or, you know, how did you come to that conclusion? So I think a lot of the material in the book is very applicable, you know, or how do you start a difficult conversation with someone at home? I mean, so is the primary audience like a,
0: a leader who has to have, to have a difficult conversation with their employees or is it is it more generic than that? Like, do you, what, like, what do you hope to do with the book and who do you ideally want it to
1: be in the hands of? I want it to be in the hands of executives who say, I need to get this in the hands of my people because not only is the book written, you know, for you in management. But it's also written if you, the employee, needs to have a difficult conversation with your boss or with a peer. So, you know, the focus, the main focus, I would say, would be on the leader. But there are a lot of tidbits in there. And one of the areas that I talk about is what happens when somebody comes to you, your manager, and says, can we talk? Mm. Because I have found, and I have done this, and I talk about this in the book, I have found that most of the time when our boss says, can we talk, we automatically give away our power and we, we look like a bobblehead, right? And our boss is like, I noticed that, you know, you're not doing this right or, and you're just like this, right? But you never even stop to think, well, wait a minute, I have some power here. I need, I should ask some clarifying questions or I need to let my boss know that his perception is completely wrong. How do I frame that? So
0: are you saying that you can not feel so powerless? Because I know whenever everybody says, anybody says to you, like, can we talk? You know, people usually have that. Mm-hmm. And there's somebody like, oh, what do you want to talk about? Are you suggesting that there are strategies that you can do to not have that? And then you can, how would you recommend somebody respond when somebody says, hey, can we talk?
1: Well, I would say, you know, um, sure. You know, before we set aside time, can you can you give me some idea of what you want to talk about, right? So I don't want to be shocked. I don't want to go in and then find out like, you know, oh my God, like I'm being fired. <laughs> like, you know, I, I mean, if I can ask that question, you know, sure. Um, is there anything in particular that you'd like to discuss with me? You know, so I know whether I should be in a space that's quiet and private or, you know, are you wanting to talk about, you know, where we should have lunch? Like, All right.
0: So it's so. It, what, do you have a recommendation of what somebody could say instead of that "can
1: we talk" phrase? Oh, well, you could say we need to talk. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but you, you know, you could say, you know, hey, I've been thinking about something. It's been on my mind, and you know, I'm wondering if we could have a discussion.
0: Yeah, that seems a little less. Or like, hey, can we have a chat about X, Y, and Z? Would it be better just to say, hey, I, I was thinking about what you said. I'd like to have a chat about X, Y, and Z, and just automatically
1: reduce the anxiety? Yes, if that's truly what you want to do. But if your discussion is to tell this person that they're not going to be here next week, then I don't know if I would go that way. So
0: with this book, you're so it sounds like then it's about really good, difficult communication skills. And it sounds a little bit like, um, as I, you know, read through some of Brene Brown stuff, she talks about the important to have those you know, bold conversations. It sounds like your book just provides a lot of that practical application on how do you actually have it, have those brave conversations with somebody.
1: Yes, it- the book is very practical and I haven't read any of Renee Brown's books. So um, I make it a point when I'm writing, I don't want to read anyone else's books because I don't want to like mistakenly like take one of their ideas and all of a sudden have it be mine. Right. And it's funny because, uh Two years ago, I was approached to um, interview the CEO of a company who was writing a book on evergreen talent, the same subject, not the same title. And I just said, you know, I'm happy to interview him, but I cannot until I'm done with my book. And I got to tell you, I'm really glad I said that. Because after I turned in the manuscript, and I read his book, we eventually met. And we were like, oh, my God, like, we're like, we're related, like, we have the same thought leadership, like we're saying the same thing. And had I read his book first, I would have been really like up a tree, right? Because he's saying exactly what I'm saying. People are going to think I stole that. So I like to just kind of have my own ideas. Well, you're such a...
0: So you're such a prolific writer, you know, what, what are what's your, is it just come natural to you? Have you always been a natural writer or is this something that you had to
1: develop and hone? I was never a writer. Um, I became a writer by accident. <laughs> um, I was approached about a project writing for Monster and I was like, well, I've never really written anything. And, and the company that brought me in, they said, don't worry, we'll do what we normally do. You write something and we'll edit it and we'll send it to them. If they like it, we'll put you on that. And then I was like, okay, I could do that, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I became a writer for Monster, and I, you know, I was paid for my writing. But it's like anything; it's like you know, writing is a muscle, and the more you exercise and use it, the easier it is to write.
0: If you were going to go back in time and you're going to see, you know, the Roberta who was just leaving her her job and she was starting her company, did you imagine? Would you ever imagine that you were going to be this author of all these books and have this kind of visibility?
1: No, never.
0: (laughs) What would you tell her? Like, if you can go back in time, what would you tell that younger version of you based on what you know now?
1: I would tell her to save a lot of money because this book promotion thing takes a lot of money. (laughs) And this is the first time, like for, you know, my book that I'm actually really investing heavily in the promotion, I have a PR firm, I have a web team, a social media team, like, you know, I'm investing a lot of money to get the word out about this book. And I've never done that before. And so I would just say, make sure you have enough money set aside to do this. Because as you know, the ROI, you're not going to get it right back, right? It could be two years from now when I'm at a dinner, and somebody's like, I read your book you know, we'd love to to hire you. So you just, you know, no, I never would have imagined this. So what is it about this book, out of all of your books
0: that you are putting this kind of effort behind? What's special about this book to you?
1: Well, don't tell my other books. Okay, I won't. It's (laughs) our special secret. Yeah, but I really think it, it could be my best. So I just feel like everybody should have this book. And the only way they're going to get this book is if I make sure they're aware that it's out there. And as much as the book Crucial Conversations is a book that many, many people you know, rely on, um, my book is different in that it's much more pragmatic and it's not just for the leader. And so I feel like my book is more accessible and I'm sure that the two books together would probably greatly strengthen people's ability to communicate effectively. Is it included some scripts and what to
0: say for different scenarios?
1: Yes. And I have scripts for those people from New York and those in California. (laughs) Okay.
0: Put more words around that. I'm dying to know what you
1: see is the difference between the New York script and the California script. Well, I'm from New York and in New York, we're very direct. And so we just say it. And on the West Coast, it's a little softer. And having spent nine years in Houston, I know that what works in New York does not work in Texas. So it, I have it so you can really flex because it's really important that, you know, if I go into, you know, South Carolina with my New York attitude to have a conversation, I'm going to like, it's never going to happen.
0: <laughs> but, and also if you take your South Carolina or, or California approach to New York, they're not going to have any idea what you're talking about. No, they're going to be like, what are you trying to say? Why don't you say it? <laughs> right so this goes back to your political savvy you know and i'm wondering as you've been thinking through like what i hear is a thematic aspect of like what you're really good at is it that navigation of different perspectives like shape-shifting into i could be all things to all people and how i need to in order to get the outcome is that am i reading that
1: superpower accurately yes i and even you know i was reflecting back you know with facebook and everything about you know high school and i I was like always a chameleon, like, you know, I I wasn't like one of the cool kids, I wasn't like a pothead, I, I wasn't a jock, <clears throat> I wasn't a cheerleader, I wasn't any of those things, but I could move in and out of those groups really easily and just kind of change, you know, people would just think I was one of them, even if I wasn't. And so I think that's always been my natural um, ability to kind of blend in where I am. So is that a skill that you teach
0: people through your coaching and your books on how to use that, how to have that kind of skill
1: to further your career? Well, it depends. Sometimes you want to stand out. Right. That's true. Uh, You know, you don't want, especially women, you don't want to be like, you know, a wallflower and just part of the wallpaper. You want to be able to be out in front. And then how do you do that?
0: I found that in my, in my experience with some of the executives that, they stand out in so many ways by knowing how to do what you just did, you know, by being able to, you know, shift your communication to rel- relate to whoever you're talking to. But again, that super, that chameleon superpower just came back up because you said, well, it depends on who I'm talking to. Like, <laughs> so it seems like there's the thematic kind of ideas, the conversations that you have, it's almost like, you know, connect with who you're talking to so that they c- you can hear them. So it seems like that, that might be why this, because your cornerstone is it connects with this bigger, bigger picture of who you've been, where you can adapt. to You could adapt your communication to get your message heard. And you so you're more attached to the message and, and less attached to the delivery mechanism that you might've been using. And that's how you created results. I could be reading, well, I could be reading between the tea leaves and I could be completely off, but that's what I'm kind of
1: hearing from you. Is that remotely accurate or? Well, to me, I've, and you know, and I'm sure to you as well, it's about getting the results, right? And, and that's why I have different versions in the book of, you know, the East, West Coast, Texas, um, whole arena, because what do you really want to see happen? And you really want to see results, right? You want to see something change if you're having a difficult conversation, whether it's you want to have a certain behavior change or you want to see something else happen. And so you have to be able to communicate in a way that the other person can can get that message in a way that they understand it. Otherwise, you'll be like one of my clients who I spotlighted in the book, who is the CEO of a hospital. And he thought he was very clear with one of his executives. And after a very tough conversation, he left the room like, ooh, that went really well. And it turns out that The behavior that he had hoped would change didn't because that executive was not clear on what my client was asking him to do. And three months later, he had to fire the guy.
0: So it sounds like the biggest thing that this book provides is different from other communication books is really figuring out how to craft your message for the listener and how to really understand what that message needs to be because you have a particular outcome for a particular reason. And it's and it's really learning how to make sure that, that that message gets clearly across.
1: Yes. I mean, I've watched employee termination meetings where people have said, you know, you're the best employee I've ever had. Oh, by the way, I'm letting you go because your performance hasn't been stellar, right? Like, right. Like, what is that? Uh, that's called
0: cognitive dissonance. And it's, okay. like, <laughs> and it's called a crisis that a lot of people do not like. It's like, I can't make sense of these two phrases. So-
1: Right, and then the person sitting there—was I just fired?
0: Right, <laughs>
1: or given a promotion? I'm not sure. Right,
0: right, right. That's funny. So, if you want to get this book, how to so help help the people who are listening get their hands on this particular book, and hopefully, definitely in front of in time for the holidays, because there's a lot of difficult conversations, and it's so timely from that standpoint as well. Like probably from a work standpoint, everything's so much in flux, and having to have these conversations. But it just seems like as a society, we're just not all that civil as much as we might've been in the past. So it seems like it's timely from that standpoint as well. So how do you get a hold of this particular book right
1: now? Well, if you want it right now, like within the next 10 seconds, you can go onto Amazon and download the Kindle version. You can also order the paperback on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Goodreads or wherever you buy your books.
0: And if somebody wants to work with you, Tell us a little bit more around how they can get a hold of working, get a hold of you, and how, what's the first step of working with you?
1: Well, the first step is to reach out to me, and my email is Roberta at Matchison, M A T U S O N, consulting.com. Um, if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn and they mention your podcast, happy to accept that invitation. And, you know, hey, I'm all about the conversation. So if there's something on your mind and you want to talk, reach out to me and I'm happy to have a conversation with you. That's awesome.
0: And is there anything else that you want to tell me about your journey to your thought leadership and positioning yourself in the market as that expert? And I just didn't ask you the right
1: question. No, I'm just getting started.
0: (laughs) That is exciting. And what's next for Roberta? What's the next iteration of your your business? Now
1: that I've been out of the house, (laughs) there's no holding me back. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to speak at conferences again. I wasn't sure I was ready, but now that I've been out of the house today and my suits fit, I'm ready to go.
0: (laughs) On that note, we will wrap up this interview. Thank you so much for being with me today. It was great and I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in. If today's episode lit a fire in you, please rate and review enough already on Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. And if you're looking for your next step, visit me on my website at BetsyJordan.com and it's Betsy Jordan with a Y and you'll learn all about our end-to-end services that are custom designed to accelerate your success. Don't wait. Start today.